Christmas tree lot so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. <sighs> my toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hip. Clark. Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. Uh, that's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. Griswold family Christmas tree. Isn't it a little big? It's not big, it's just full. Dad, that thing wouldn't fit in our yard. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. <sighs> Look at it. it. Really is beautiful, Clark. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it beautiful, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. Most enduring traditions of the season are best enjoyed in the warm embrace of kith and kin. <sighs> this tree is a symbol of the spirit of the Griswold family Christmas. Dad, did you bring a saw? from different families of origin. We have different family traditions, different things that we do. And it's amazing how powerful those traditions can actually become. I want you to just think for a moment, like what's one of those Christmas traditions that your family has that if that was to go away, it would actually ruin your Christmas? Just try to, like, imagine that. Like, whether it's, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, you just loved having the kids a part of your home and then you become empty nesters and your kids just do the most horrible thing humanly possible is meet someone else. And now you have to compete with another family to see your own children because they want to see their in-laws and all the tension that comes with this. Right? There's so many traditions that we hold to. And they're powerful. And they impact us. Just for the sake of complete, total transparency today, uh, my favorite Christmas tradition for our family is 15 minutes after the Christmas Eve service is done. <laughs> it's just one of those realities of serving in ministry that there's this massive tension when it comes to putting on the church's Christmas Eve service. You see, there's this tension of you try to find all these volunteers to serve in a, you know, it's 
We serve already once a week, throw in another one. I've learned the hard way. We don't cancel the Sunday before Christmas Eve to accommodate it. You still got to put on Sunday. And when Christmas Eve falls on Sunday, oh my goodness, just talk about a total train wreck of trying to coordinate. It's like herding cats, right? And, and then you find out, well, no, I don't want to serve at my church because I want to go see the big production at the church down the road. And so there's this tension of wanting to see kind of the bigger, flashier Christmas services. And I understand it. And then there's the tension, you know, that kind of happens with it as well. And it's like, well, you know, it's, it's who is this for? Well, what's Christmas Eve service for? Is it so that the Christians are happy with it? Or that it's actually something that you can invite a non-Christian to and they can hear about the love of God and maybe learn more about Jesus and take a step to get connected into the church family. Guess what? I've kind of learned. Um, You lose no matter which answer you pick because you either upset this group or you upset this group. So I'm just being transparent. This is kind of just the world. It's busy. It's crazy. It's hectic. So my favorite Christmas tradition is 15 minutes after that service is done, where I get into the car and we drive home. And I don't know how it happens. It's like a Christmas miracle. My wife is a miracle worker, and suddenly there's food everywhere. And we don't invite anybody. No one's allowed to come. The introvert in me just totally comes out. It's like no one else comes. No one else shows up. It's just the five of us. It's me, Danielle, the kids, Danielle's mother who lives with us. And occasionally other people try to make their way into it. And, you know, I tried really hard to, no, 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 no. I need one evening. It was just the five of us. And there's all this food. And there's some other beverages that Jesus makes at certain parties. (laughs) And it's the best one. And I can relax for one night. Just give me one hour before the Christmas chaos starts all over again the next day. Maybe you relate to that, right? Just this tension, this pressure that seems to come in the season where we talk about peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women. Peace on earth. How do we find this peace that the Bible teaches us all about? What we celebrate this Advent season. This is traditionally known as the second week of Advent. For the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, Christians all over the world for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have looked at the themes of Christmas, hope, peace, joy, and love. And looking at the past, looking at the first coming of Jesus, and how he promised to bring hope, peace, joy, and love, and how people were waiting, anticipating this coming of the Messiah. 2,000 years later, we still long for the return of Jesus, when he will come again to restore his kingdom for all eternity. And so we look back to the Christmas story and we look to the future as well as we celebrate Advent. So today we're going to unpack this theme of peace. Who could use just a little bit more peace in their life this time of year? 
yeah, for some reason, it's gone a little crazy. And I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I'm getting a little more tired and maybe a little more cranky in my old age. I don't know what it is. Maybe I, don't, I need 10 hours of sleep now instead of seven. I don't know what it is, but it seems like this peace seems harder and harder to find. So we as Christians in this world today that just seems to be ramping up speed in living in a culture that doesn't seem to value rest and peace, how do we seek out peace? Just in way of definition, when we're talking about peace, if you look up in your dictionary what the word peace means, this is the, this is the definition that we're going to work on. There's two kind of parts to peace. The, per, the first is this. Peace means the normal, non-warring condition of a nation, a group of nations, or the world. That there is no more war. That there is truly peace on earth. Peace also can mean the state of mutual harmony between people or groups. Especially in our personal relationships, that we have peace among the people that are close to us or that are around us. Right? It's a cessation or it's a freedom from any strife, any dissensions. Right? It's a freedom of the mind from annoyances, from distractions, from anxiety, from obsession. When we have those things gone and dealt with, the definition of peace in the dictionary states we would be in this state of peace. But again, look at the world that we live in today. Jesus, the coming of Jesus was promised to bring about an age of peace. It's a promise in God's word that we believe is true, is not wrong, hasn't made a mistake. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to bring peace. But the nations are still warring. And it seems like it's never going to end. We still deal with annoyances and distractions and anxiety and obsession in our personal lives. We deal with it culturally. I say this all the time. For some reason, our culture has even seemed to have lost the ability to have a civil conversation with people we disagree with. There's no peace. There's no strife in so many areas of life. So how do we cling to the promises of Jesus? How do we find peace? And that's what I love about the movie that we're looking at today. It was a little trickier to find clips for this one because I didn't remember that this movie had so much swearing in it. It's one of those movies that you remember going, this movie's amazing, this movie's amazing. And then you watch it with your kids, you're like, skip, (laughs) skip. So I found clips, and I think I bleeped all the words out. So if I missed one, don't email me tomorrow. I realized it, okay? But this movie is about a family desperately trying to bring that piece of Christmas into their life. Right? It's this story about a man named Clark Griswold and his family, his wife Ellen, their son Resty, and their daughter Audrey. 
And Clark is the type of husband, he's the type of father who wants the absolute best for his family. He wants to create the perfect family vacations to build these memories that will last a lifetime. He's the type of husband and father who works in his job, and it's not a job that he really likes or enjoys or is passionate about, but he gives that job his all. So he can just get that big Christmas bonus at the end of the year so he can put a swimming pool in the backyard so his family could just have parties and neighbors over and celebrate and have fun together. He wants his whole family to be able to come together and get along over the Christmas season. And he's so convinced that this miracle of miracles is possible that he opens his home to both sides of his families, his parents, his in-laws, his cousin, invites everyone in under his roof to create this Christmas wonderland. But peace never comes. The families bicker. They're fighting. There's all this tension, this celebration, this big, wonderful Christmas that he has planned, despite all of his work, despite all of his efforts, despite everything that he tries to do, he can't seem to create the environment that he dreams about in his mind or that he visualizes in his heart of what Christmas is supposed to be about. And he tries and he tries and he tries and he tries And God bless him. He keeps the smile on for as long as humanly possible. But it fails again and again and again. So here's an example of one of their failures. Watch this clip. (laughs) Mom, don't move. We can't let it get out of the living room. Where's Eddie? He usually eats these goddamn things. Oh, not recently, Clark. He read the squirrels were high in cholesterol. Thank you, Catherine. I'll try and trap it. Rush! We're here, Dad. Oh, there you are. Go get the hammer. Clark, what do you need a hammer for? I'm going to catch it in the coat. Smack it with the hammer. <laughs> I'm going in with him. Nora? Nora? Is he gone? Probably got scared and ran back into the tree. Oh, 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 oh. 
maybe Christmas isn't that crazy in your life. <laughs> but there's a little part of me that can relate to this, to this idea of like this dream that we have for Christmas. This dream that we have that we, why can't we all just get along for 48 hours? <laughs> Why can't we put aside our differences? Why can there not be a competition of who bought the better gift and this person's offended because their gift costs more than this gift? Why can't we just put all these things behind us and focus? And remember, we actually love one another. We care about each other. And that Christmas is actually something so much greater than what we make it out to be in these family traditions that we strive to keep in our families. What happens is, is when we put our focus on the externals, that these traditions, these memories, these things that we create, when we kind of put our hope in those things, it doesn't actually bring about peace. (laughs) When we put our hope in the external, we don't find the hope, we don't find the peace that Jesus actually came to bring. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to open up to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, last week we looked at Joseph and how Joseph put his hope, not on the externals, but he put his hope on the God of hope. And today I want us to look at his fiancée, Mary, and look at her, look at the Christmas story through her eyes, through her viewpoint, so that we can unpack this topic of peace and how we could truly find the peace that Jesus brings despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So in Luke's gospel here, in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we can read about the birth of Jesus. So it says, starting in verse 26, it says, In the six months, what's it's talking about, it's talking about Jer, uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who was pregnant for John the Baptist. So she's six months pregnant. So while Elizabeth is in her six months, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at, this, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I always love these type of verses like this. They're kind of like the ultimate understatement. (laughs) You know, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, you are most highly favored. What? (laughs) No, I'm not. Right? And we see all throughout the Bible, whenever these angels showed up, people would fall to the ground as if dead. We kind of think angels in our culture are like the hallmark little fat babies with diapers and little wings on their back. Angels are powerful beings of God that when they would show up, it was like these terrifying moments. And here you've got this young girl who's kind of troubled at his words, wondering what this greeting might be. And then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And I love here how this ends in verse 38, where this young girl looks before this incredible angel, this incredibly powerful being, and says these simple words. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. As, as you have said. And the angel left. May it be to me. May it be to me. As you have said. There's just such an incredible peace in that statement. In a moment that is short, it's just 12 verses. We can't really truly grasp the intensity of what's happening here. But again, as I stated, other passages of the Bible show us what it's like when angels show up. It's powerful. It's not normal. It's unexpected. And most of the time, warriors, men of power, of influence, would fall to the ground in fear and trembling of these beings who have come to bring a word from God, a message of God. And this young girl in this chaos says, may it be to me. May it be to me. See, as we unpack and we understand the culture that this young girl lives in, right? She's a young Jewish girl. And the land that she lives in has probably some of the strictest laws when it comes to sexual purity. You probably couldn't find two cultures more different, hers and ours, the modern Canadian culture where everything goes, and the ancient Jewish culture where if there's any slight impurity in your life when it comes to sex and sexuality, um, you can't go to church. You can't worship. In fact, you should be cast out of your community, and in the worst-case scenarios, you should be judged according to your crimes and put to death. Two radically different cultures, hers and ours. Right? And so here she is living in this incredibly strict culture when it comes to sexual ethics, and she's being told by an angel that she's going to become pregnant before her wedding night. You see, Mary is already pledged legally to Joseph at this stage talked about how the marriage process worked a little bit last week. It was a legally binding contract a year before the husband and wife would come together. So she is already legally bound to Joseph. Finding out now that she's going to become pregnant, this is literally, no exaggeration, this isn't Pastor Kevin's, you know, exaggeration. I get it. Sometimes I exaggerate. How many people are at church today? 700. Okay, it happens sometimes. We exaggerate. This is not an exaggeration what I'm about to say. 
this angel has presented to Mary a death sentence. Think about that. This angel is coming to Mary with a death sentence. That you are about to break one of the strictest laws in your community. (laughs) Because God has found favor with you. That doesn't seem to fit kind of North American Christianity. That where if God's favor was on me, everything would be awesome. That I'd have lots of money, that I'd have, you know, health, that I'd have a nice car, that my kids would be well behaved, yada, yada, yada. All these different things that we come up with, that the favor of God must mean I am rich, I am blessed, and I get all the perks and the benefits. (laughs) In Mary's case, finding favor with God culturally leads to a death sentence. (laughs) And her response is not, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I signed up for, Lord. You see, when I kind of decided to follow you, I expected things to be done a certain way. I expected synagogue to go a certain direction. I expect three songs, a sermon that doesn't go more than 37 minutes, all of these kind of criteria. And it better kind of fit in my Jewish box and my Jewish understanding of who you are, God. And if it's not fitting in my box, God, we have a problem. This young girl says, may it be as you say. Incredible peace in what I could only imagine would be probably the most traumatic thing to happen in her life up to that point. And what's amazing, what I love about this text is the angel gives Mary and he gives us a picture of the future. He gives gives Mary, he gives us this picture of what Jesus is going to accomplish. Look at what it says here in verse 32. Talking about her son Jesus who will be born. It says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Like, it's talking about world peace. That the throne of David isn't just going to be a throne to rule over Israel, but the throne of David is going to have dominion over the entire world. And his kingdom will not be overthrown by another king. There won't be some evil subplot that's going to come. There's not going to be a coup. There's not going to be a backstabbing et tu brute. There's not going to be anything like that. There's not going to be squirrels running around the living room, knocking everything over. That his kingdom will never end. World peace. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. This promised peace. And this is what the people of Israel were longing for. This is this promise that they desperately wanted to see fulfilled. And when Jesus was going about his earthly ministry, this is what they thought he was going to do. The deal wasn't die on a cross for the sin of humanity. 
They didn't want a suffering savior. They wanted this king, this promise. They, they want this to be fulfilled. And guess what? You and I today, 2,000 years later, are still waiting for this peace to come. So in the definition of peace, there's two parts. There's that world peace, which is to come. It will come. And we cling to this promise that when he returns, that his throne will be established and his kingdom will never end. But peace is also about this inner peace. How does Mary have this type of inner peace in the turmoil? How does she have this inner peace where she can declare, may it be to me, as you have said, no matter what is going on around her. And see, Jesus actually talks about that type of peace as well. In John, uh, John's gospel, in chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus himself said that he will give peace to those who follow him. He said this, he says, I'm gonna, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Oh, I'd love that under my tree this year. Peace of mind, peace of heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The Christmas tradition that flops can't bring that peace. It's funny, I was sitting there last night in my living room. And I, I, I love Christmas. I, I do. I, I, I love Christmas lights. I, 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 I love and honor and respect my wife. And so I submit to her on the topic of Christmas lights. Because I would create the most gaudy, awful looking home on the street. If you've seen the movie Christmas Vacation, you know, when Clark Griswold goes out and he 25 thousand light bulbs all over his house i'm like small potatoes clark i would love this is my dream of the perfect christmas home you ever see those plastic angels they're about three feet tall and they, and they light up i want to buy about 700 of those and completely cover my roof and i want speakers that when cars drive by go oh Every time someone, and when people are walking their dog, or a dog is like peeing or doing something else on my front yard, hallelujah, and the spotlight shines on the dog while it's doing its business on the front yard, and there's Mary and Joseph under the front one, and I, I can see this. It's like, oh my goodness. It would bring such peace into my heart. <laughs> but we all know it won't, because I'll spend so much time on the roof. And I'll probably fall off the roof because the way this stuff seems to always work. And light bulbs will break and the speaker won't work and yada. And all these different things fail all the time. When we cling to the things of the world, it doesn't bring this peace. When we cling to the tradition, when we cling to the gifts, when we cling to the food, when we cling to the family, these are good things. But they're not the things that Jesus says would bring this gift. They don't bring peace of mind and peace of heart. Again, when Jesus was approaching the city of Jerusalem and he saw the people living their lives and kind of in the hustle and the bustle of this great city of Jerusalem, Jesus looked on this and he said, 
how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. (laughs) But now it's too late and this peace is hidden from your eyes. I think those words of Jesus to the city of Jerusalem are words for us as Christians today too. (laughs) In the hustle and the bustle of modern living. I think Jesus looks at us and says, man, I wish today you out of all people, my church, my bride, my brothers and sisters, I wish you out of all people would know the way to peace. The God of peace is available for everyone because Jesus brings peace. And we have to look at this. So when the, when the angel, like we sing Christmas songs, right? We sing songs that say, hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. That one little part of that Christmas hymn is so important to understand peace. It's the concept that God and sinners have been reconciled. <laughs> It's the idea that there is a holy God who is perfect and righteous. And when he looks down on sin, he hates it. It has to be punished. It's got to be dealt with. It needs to be judged. But because God loves us, because God loves you, because God loves me, he has made a way to be reconciled to him. That we can be holy just like he is holy. Not because we're religious or we keep the right traditions or we have the right stuff at Christmas time. But that Jesus is born. And he has come to reconcile sinners to God. God and sinner reconciled. And it's that understanding that brings us peace. When all the chaos of life happens, when all the chaos of Christmas holidays happen, we can find peace in the truth that, you know what, despite all of this stuff that's going on around me, God loves me. God's got this. I have been reconciled to God. And that is what I am celebrating this Christmas season. The peace of God is available when we live for the God of peace. The peace of God is available when we live for the God of peace. And I think this is such an important concept to get our brains around because, again, I'm a sucker for Christmas just like lots of you are too. And, and I, you know, the perfect present will bring peace. The perfect vacation will bring peace. All of these things will bring peace. But the journey that our family has been on probably for the last five, six years is regardless of the chaos, we are going to cling desperately to the God of peace. <laughs> And it's amazing the peace that that brings. It doesn't change any of our circumstances. It doesn't make any of my family get along. I'm still waiting for the Porsche. My, no one's bought me one for Christmas yet. You know, so if you're looking for a list, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, all these things that we dream about and fantasize about. 
when we truly remember that this season is about the fact that you and I have been reconciled to God. That when God looks at my life, when he looks at me, when he looks at our marriage, when he looks at our family, he doesn't see a bunch of sinners messing up. He sees his children. He sees a daughter. He sees a son that he loves. And his peace comes when we center our lives around the God of peace. You see, Clark and his family, they're, they're desperate for this peace. And they get little glimpses of it here and there. But then their focus keeps shifting back to the traditions and to the dreams that they build up in their head. And every time they deviate from this peace that's available, chaos happens again. Let's watch this clip. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. What, dear? Grace. Grace. She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. (laughs) Save the neck for me, Clark. Okay, Eddie. I told you we put it in too early. Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. I told you. So how do we find peace in this Christmas season? I think Paul, the apostle, gave us the answer, and that was the text that, that Paulo read for us earlier from Philippians chapter 4. Right, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 to 9 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I think Ephesians, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9 can be summarized real easily with four simple words. <laughs> Accept, pray, think, and act. I want to write those down and put them in every single Christmas card you send this season. <laughs> Accept, pray, think, and act. Paul talks about this idea that we accept. We accept that we, we can't be anxious about everything. We're going to burn the turkey. We're going to blow the lights. Your in-laws are going to fight. It's going to happen. Your kid is going to disappoint you. The present is not going to be what you want. There's nothing we can do about those things. So don't be anxious about any of it. You accept it for what it is. You accept. Don't be anxious. Don't freak out. Don't have a fit. Don't have a panic attack. We learn to accept what's going on. But accepting doesn't mean we just ignore. Paul continues, and we pray. We pray about everything. We pray for our family. We pray for our gathering. We pray for the celebration. We pray for safe travels. All of these things, we pray. We bring those requests to God. And as we pray, we think. We focus on what's good about the holiday season. We focus on what God has done in our lives. And one of the things I love about this Christmas season is that time to just reflect like when I leave on Christmas Eve, 15 minutes after the service, and I get into the car, and I'm not kidding, I literally go, oh, got through another one. <laughs> and it's so busy this time of year. But then I can sit there and go, look what God just did in that service. Look at the person who showed up. The family member that one of you have who's far from God, and they came and they were blessed and they heard about Jesus. The people in the community who don't go to church, who are far from God, who heard the message of God's love. And so on. And story after story after story that happens every Christmas. It's like, wow. It's amazing. Thanks be to God. Think about those things. Right? And then finally, we act. Right? As we accept the things we can't change, as we pray, as we think about what's good about this time of year, and then it changes our actions. One of the things that we do in our family is when we pray, when we accept, when we think, we literally picture ourselves as salt and light going into every single Christmas party we go to. We're bringing Jesus here, and we're bringing Jesus there, and we're bringing Jesus there, and we're bringing Jesus over there. We act on it and we're going to pray and we're going to celebrate and we're going to rejoice when all the chaos around us continues to happen. You see, Clark and his family, they get glimpses of it. You can see it in his eyes, the twinkle in his eyes that he's so close to knowing this peace. But then he goes back to the tradition. He goes back to the worldly value. And for us, the call is to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
to sing and rejoice and remember that God and sinner has been reconciled. (laughs) That God loves you. And in this Christmas season, we celebrate this God who loves you. (laughs) We remember his first birth, his first coming. How he brought in the fullness of the kingdom of God. (laughs) The fullness of the kingdom of God is available today. But we also remember, but not yet. It's not fully here yet. This promised king who will bring earthly peace is still to come. We accept, we pray, we think, and we act, and we rejoice that God's peace is with us. The peace of God is available when we live for the God of peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you in this place. We are grateful that we could celebrate in this Advent season the birth of Jesus. We thank you, God, that your peace that surpasses all human understanding is available to all those who would believe. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us as followers of Jesus that we would live out the life that you've called us to, that we wouldn't be anxious about anything, that we would pray about everything, that we would think about the things that are good about this time of year, and that we would live those out everywhere that we go. And Father, I pray for those who might be here or those who are watching online who long for this peace. I pray that they would be reminded that the peace is available to them, not through the traditions, not through all the outward stuff we do this time of year, but it's available because Jesus loves them and has come to reconcile them, to make them right with God. And I pray even this year they would receive that gift, that peace with God. And the Bible says if you're here today and you're, you're, you're listening to this, you can actually receive that gift of peace of heart and of mind by simply believing that Jesus died for you. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Confess it with your mouth. Tell someone about it, that you're choosing to believe this. And the peace of God will come into your life this Christmas season.